Thank you for listening to a Sunday morning sermon from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about these sermons or about Christ Church in general, visit us online at ccochurch.com. And now, here's this week's sermon. Good morning, church. I'm really excited to introduce our speaker this morning. His name's Drake Holderman. He serves on our student ministry team and has been with the church since the middle of last May. A recent graduate of Ozark Christian College, he serves in our junior high area, and uh, he's an exceptional talent. Uh, He's a good colleague, and I'm really excited because he's a good young preacher. I asked Drake earlier this summer if he would uh, take this assignment to preach us about being a disciple and following Jesus. And uh, I'm glad he gets the opportunity uh, to do this, and I'm also glad that we get an opportunity to know him more through his preaching. Would you help me welcome Drake this morning? Thank you. Thank you. Um, As a matter of fact, that is the only nice thing Mark has ever said about me. So he usually calls me intern, even though I'm a staff member. Um, Like Mark said, my name is Drake Holderman. Happy to be here today. I'm the seventh and eighth grade pastor here at Christ Church. As a matter of fact, just got home yesterday from a trip to Tulsa, Oklahoma, about 150 S. We got somebody who went, I I, I feel like. So uh, Hunter Mitchell's there pumping his arm like that. So 150 of us went to Tulsa, uh, most of us 12 to 14 years old, and then their adult leaders uh, went as well. We learned, we were challenged uh, this weekend not to be not to be greedy or to hold on to the good things that God has given us, but to be open and generous with our times, our talent, and our treasure. It was a phenomenal weekend, but to be honest with you, I am ready to get home this afternoon and take a nap because it's been a long weekend. However, in the meantime, I really am excited to talk to us today about the gospel. And if you don't hear anything else this morning, I want to encourage you to hear this. You can write it down in your gospel journal or a piece of paper. If you're a junior higher, taking notes, I believe, with a Sharpie on your arm. Whatever you need to do to write it down. This is what I've come to say to you this morning. The gospel isn't just a story to be heard. It is a life to be lived. Today, we're going to meet five men who met Jesus. And these five men didn't just meet Jesus. As a matter of fact, these five men were the first five disciples of our King. These five men were the first five disciples to realize that the gospel isn't just a story to be heard. That the gospel requires audience participation and we live a life powered by the gospel. Their names are Andrew, John, Peter, Philip, and Nathaniel. Five men met Jesus. And today I get to talk about their example. What they did as disciples and how we can mirror them as they followed Christ. I'm excited to do this. Let me pray for us this morning. Jesus, we love you. You are our king. We take so much pleasure, so much joy in being people in your kingdom. God, like we learned this week, I believe with our seventh and eighth graders, help us to be kingdom workers. You are calling us to do work. Give us the power, the courage, the want to, to do this work. It's Christ's name I pray. Amen. If you would, please open your Bible or your mobile device to John chapter 1. And as you were doing that, I would like to tell you a story about a leap of faith. Uh, When I was a sophomore in college, my best friend Luke and I, we decided that we wanted to give the new freshmen a warm welcome to Ozark Christian College, where we we went. So Williamson Third is where we lived, and we wanted to make sure everybody there had a good time their first couple of weeks. So we pulled prank after prank after prank after prank, giving them a warm welcome. One of our plans was to take every single freshman south of town Joplin 
and have them jump off the waterfall there at water, uh, Wildcat Glades. I'm, pr- I'm sure you know what I'm talking about, south of I-44. We wanted to have every single one of them jump off. Now, when I was a freshman and people were trying to get me to jump off, I was a little hesitant because I grew up at Fort Gibson, or in the summers, I spent my summers at Fort Gibson Lake in Wagner, Oklahoma, uh, swimming and skiing and wakeboarding and all that fun stuff. And I was reminded time and time and time and time again to be careful when I was jumping into water where I could not see what was beneath the surface. So as I was standing there at the waterfall, I was, I was so concerned that I was going to get hurt jumping in that I had my buddy Luke from uh, southwest Missouri. He, you all are weird. You guys do anything you want to. You're just crazy. Luke's from Web City. He decided he was going to jump off. I had him go first for safety measures. He jumped in, mer- just went into the water, emerged out victorious. And I knew it was a safe place to jump when he said, I didn't feel, this is the word he said, nothing. Like with a U instead of the proper spelling or pronunciation, nothing. I knew it was safe. So I got up to the edge of the waterfall and I was a little nervous. I was kind of hesitant to jump. And then I heard Luke again, across the way in front of everybody, say, do it. You won't. And I was like, man, I'm embarrassed now. And so I jumped off the waterfall. That day that we took the freshman to the waterfall, I was 50% sure nobody would get hurt. And I watched his (laughs) friend. The odds were good. I watched as freshman after freshman after freshman jumped off this waterfall, emerged in the water, and just pop up, just so excited, being dogpiled by their friends. One freshman, though, still at the top of the waterfall with me. His name was Joseph. Joseph was not bad to the bone or born to be wild. Joseph, up until this point in his life, the wildest thing that Joseph had ever done was pop a wheelie on his bicycle. Joseph was not going to jump off this waterfall, but I needed a 100% success rate. So I was going to start doing what I needed to do to get, get him off this waterfall. So I said, are you ready, bro? And he, tr- he got the shaky voice like this. He said, I'm petrified. And stood there frozen like a statue. And I said, the only thing I knew to get him jump off the cliff, I said, do it. You won't. And he goes, you're right. I won't. <laughs> and so I, there's only one thing I could do. I pushed Joseph off the waterfall that day. Hallelujah, God. He said, I'm just kidding. I did not push him off the waterfall. Today, we are, we're going to talk about five disciples who took a leap of faith. So if you would, I hope you have your Bible open, your mobile device, to John chapter 1. Please get it there. Verse 35. By the way, we're going to be doing three readings today. Each of these readings takes place on three separate days. This is day two. This first patch of the scripture that we're going to read is day two. Starting in verse 35, here we go. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. It's John the Baptist. When he, was, when he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon's Peter brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was find his brother Simon and tell him, We have found the Messiah, that is, the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. Three of the five disciples that we are going to talk about this morning were mentioned in that reading of Scripture. You have Peter and Andrew, brothers, made their livelihood by fishing. The third disciple that we're talking about this morning is unnamed in that reading, but it's probably the author of this gospel himself, John. I think that, and a lot of scholars think that, because John typically doesn't refer to himself by name when he's including himself 
in his writing. A lot of the times John will refer to himself by the disciple whom Jesus loved. And a lot of scholars think that this, that this story, that this encounter took place firsthand. It's a firsthand experience because of the minor details recorded in John's gospel, such as it was about four in the afternoon. Three men, they met Jesus, disciples of Jesus. Now, I want to pause right there, and I want to read the next passage of Scripture because I see themes of discipleship that run very deep, very connected between the two passages. We are going to begin reading now from day day 3, starting in verse 43. It says this, The next day, day 3, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, Follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, this is so beautiful. You are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And Jesus said, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than that. And then he, and then he added, very truly I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Last two disciples for today are Philip and Nathaniel. Nathaniel is also known as Bartholomew, a more common name for him. These two men, just like Andrew and Peter and John met Jesus, well, they didn't just meet Jesus. These five men decided that the gospel isn't just a story to be heard. It is a life to be lived. For the rest of this sermon, I'm going to make three observations that these five disciples did in hopes that we can mirror them as we follow our King Jesus as well. And the first observation I'd like to make for us is this. Disciples anticipate Jesus. These five men were anticipating Jesus, no doubt. They were Jews, part of the Israelite community. And the Israels were living in a really oppressive world. They were ruled by the Romans and the Romans hated them. Completely harsh, completely unfair. They read the Old Testament. They were well-versed in the scriptures and they knew that their God would send a Messiah. A Messiah is somebody anointed by God to rule as king and priest over Israel. And they were anticipating this Messiah because this Messiah would come and he would set them free. He would save them and he would rule them. They were anticipating this Messiah that what we just read, day two and day three, these men were living lives of eager anticipation for a Messiah to come to rule them and to save them, to allow them to join into his kingdom. How does this relate to us? That's a question I was asking as I was writing this message. And my friend, Michael DeFazio, who preaches um, up here a lot, we were talking together. Michael often helps me think good thoughts about God and communicate those thoughts to other people. And we, we decided that, that when we anticipate Christ today, because we live in such a, a time period that's so different than these disciples, they lived in a time period before his first coming. We live in a time period after his first coming, but before his second coming. So how do we anticipate the king where his kingdom is already established? Well, we anticipate the king to call us to do kingdom work. Just like he called those five disciples to follow him. We as Christians, disciples of Jesus in Orinoco, Missouri, we anticipate Christ to come to us and say, follow me. We are eagerly expecting him to do this. 
A couple of months ago, I was invited to go uh, to one of the, Her- the Truman schools down the road for donuts with dad. Now, I am not a dad, uh, not a father, but I was asked to substitute fill-in for a really good dad who just had a scheduling conflict that day to take his, um, his son to donuts with dad. Now, I also saw that um, the Truman schools love alliteration because coming soon is muffins with mom. I will not be at muffins with mom, but I'm excited for the moms and their daughters who are going or their sons who are going to that. So... Donuts with Dad, I was going um, early in the morning to pick him up, and I began to drive down his gravel road, and uh, I looked at his house, and on the porch, I saw this, like, flashlight, just tiny flashlight standing there about, like, three, four feet off the ground, just kind of wavering like this. And then he saw my car, and he ran inside. And I went to the, the door, and I knocked on the door. It was, like, it was really cold that morning, too. He, he was out there shivering, I bet. That's probably why his light was shaking like this. But I knocked on the door, and his mom came and said that he'd been out there, like, all morning waiting on me to take him to donuts. He didn't think I was cool. He wasn't really anticipating me, but he was eagerly anticipating the sugary sweetness of a glazed donut. I just want to say thank you, God, for Hertz Donuts and all the goodness that has come into our community because of Hertz. Thank you, God. So he was anticipating this sugary sweetness glazed donut. He had a posture of eager anticipation that this man would come and pick him up and take him to eat what he really wanted to as disciples of Jesus. We live with an eager anticipation that God is going to call us to participate in kingdom work. Just like he was talking to our junior hires this week, a lot of our junior hires decided that we want to be a part of God's kingdom. We want to do what Jesus is asking us to do as disciples of Jesus. We live with an eager anticipation that God is going to call us to act. And when we're living with this eager anticipation, we will be able to recognize Jesus, which leads me to my second point. Disciples recognize Jesus. The scriptures that we just read are filled with recognition. The disciples had read the Old Testament and they were anticipating Messiah and the recognition comes in the scriptures that we just read. I want to read to you now from day one. John the Baptist, not one of the five disciples we're talking about today, but very influential in the life of Christianity and the life of the kingdom. This is what he had to say about Jesus on day one. John chapter one, verse 29. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, a man who comes before, after me has surpassed me because he was before me. That's a hard sentence to read. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was so that he might be revealed to Israel, recognized by Israel. John the Baptist recognized Jesus that day as the Messiah. Then the next day, he told his disciples, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And Andrew and John left John the Baptist and began to follow Jesus. The next day, Philip was called by Christ to follow him. Philip went and found his friend Nathanael. And this is, what, this is what Philip said to Nathanael. We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And although Nathanael's initial response to surprise and maybe disgust at where Jesus was from, he later came to worship this Jesus from a rival town. This is what Nathaniel said after two sentences out of Jesus' mouth. Rabbi, talking about Jesus, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. These five men recognized Jesus. Now, recognizing Jesus for us looks different than it did for them because we live in a world, like I said, that Jesus is plainly revealed as the Messiah, revealed as the king. They were living in a world where Christ incarnate had not yet happened We live in a world where he is risen from the dead and his kingdom is established. So what does it mean for us to recognize Jesus? 
I think recognizing Jesus for us takes place in the, in the posture of constant awareness. It is a sad thing to claim to follow Christ, but be completely oblivious to his presence. A couple of years ago, I was with my buddy Taylor, and we were actually on a school trip going to Indiana or New York or somewhere like that. I do not like New York like, at all. I'm glad to live in a small town right now. But we were going, and we surprised, this might be a surprise to you, but we had a layover in Chicago International Airport, and it took a long time. So we were sitting there for an hour, people watching, and we saw some weird people. But, but um, after an hour, we got kind of bored because there's only so much you can see in an airport, and we decided to up the ante, up the stakes, if you will, with the fine people of the Chicago O'Hare International Airport. Have you heard the term ghosting? Ghosting is where you get as close as humanly possible to another individual and hope that they don't know that you're falling right behind them. So I watched my friend Taylor get up out of his seat and ghost old ladies, huge men that could knock his head off, and little kids and even airport security. Bad idea. I watched him do all this, and he was encouraging me to join, but just like I was on the waterfall, I was a little hesitant, and then Taylor looked across in front of everybody at the airport. He said, do it, you won't. And I was like, dang it, I have to do it now. And so I, I'm embarrassed by this, but I did it. I found this old man. Sorry, senior citizens. I found this old man. That's the old man. This is me. And I began to follow him just this close to the O'Hare International Airport. You would be surprised at how many people are completely oblivious that there is another human being's nose one inch away from the back of their skull. It's a sad thing to claim to follow Jesus, but be completely oblivious to his presence. I don't want to put anybody down because there's times in my life where I struggle to recognize the presence of Jesus in my own life. And what I want to do right now, if you are struggling to recognize the presence of Jesus in your life, is to give you four actions to do, four outlets to recognize the presence of God in your life. These are not things that I conjured up in my own mind. These are things that are prescribed in the Bible and the church has practiced throughout its history. The first thing I want to encourage you to do is pray. And some people say, I don't, I don't know what to say to God. You don't have to say anything. Just sit there and listen. Maybe read a, read, a, read a line of scripture and then sit and listen. Listen to what God wants to say to you because God does want to communicate to you. God will communicate to you with that still, small voice that he so eagerly wants you to follow him. The second thing I want you to, want you to practice is reading the Bible. I've decided this year with a couple of my buddies um, that we are going to read the Bible uh, once in the year, New Testament, two times. And I've tried Bible reading plans a lot before um, and have failed every single one of them. But I'm so proud to say that uh, one twelfth of the year in, I am, is that right? I didn't take math in college. So I'm a lot, I haven't failed in January is what I'm trying to say. But Bible reading, Jesus plainly revealed to us in the scriptures. His identity is right there What Michael DeFazio a good friend and mentor and one of our awesome preachers here has said is what we often need most is a clear picture of Jesus. The gospels paint a beautifully clear picture of our King for us. Read the Bible. The third thing I want to do to encourage you to do is hang out with other Christians, join a life group. When Andrew and I were trying to find a church that we wanted to come and join, we were, one of our prayers was that God would send us to a church where there are people who are our own age going through the same things that we are going through, that we could live life with, do life with, be encouraged by and pray for and, and sharpen one another like iron sharpens iron. And we found that here at Christ Church. And we see Jesus, we recognize Jesus when we're hanging out with our life group, hanging out with other people who love God. And if you don't have a life group, I want to encourage you to find Adam Scudi or Dana Hudson because they can get you into a life group where you can hang out with other people who love God. The fourth thing I want to encourage you to do is this. 
I want to encourage you to serve other people. Sometimes humility and selflessness are some of the best ways that we can pursue seeing God. Jesus even says that when we serve the least of these, we are serving him. We can recognize Jesus in that. I've recently become the assistant baseball coach of an eighth grade boys baseball team called the Rockhounds. I at first thought that we were called the Greyhounds and I was confused as to why we were named after a bus company, but we got that all cleared away. So I'm an assistant coach and I see the joy of Jesus as I'm serving these boys, just helping them try to play baseball a little bit better. And I see the love and patience of their dad. I see the love and patience of God in their dads as these dads are trying to help these boys learn the game of baseball I see Jesus when I'm serving other people. And so if you are struggling to recognize the presence of Jesus in the, your life, I want to encourage you to pray, read your Bible, hang out with other Christians, and serve other people. Because when you recognize Jesus, I believe with all my heart that you'll be prompted to follow Jesus. And that's where we get our bottom line for today. The gospel isn't just a story to be heard. It is a life to be lived. Every single one of those five disciples decided that. They decided they were going to follow Jesus. They, when they pick up their cross and follow Jesus, they had to set something else down. I want to go through a little brief bio of each of those five men for you real quick. Andrew. Andrew was originally a follower of John the Baptist, recognized Jesus as the Messiah. He was a fisherman, dropped his nets because he wouldn't need those nets anymore. And he picked up a different kind of net, a different net that he was going to use to help Jesus fish for people. Andrew was a person who helped other people know God, because he realized that the gospel, Jesus, it's not just a story to hear about, but it's a life to be lived. The second disciple is also John, who's another follower of John the Baptist. John the Baptist gave himself a nickname, which in our culture is really uncool, kind of nerdy, but he gave himself a nickname, the disciple whom Jesus loved. And I think that he gave himself that nickname because he lived with a constant awareness that Jesus loves him with an overwhelming amount of love. The third disciple, Peter. A lot of us know Peter more than any other disciple. And because a lot of us know Peter more than any of, the, any of the other disciples, Peter gets a bad rap sometimes. We make fun of Peter. I just want to acknowledge that even those of us in the room who make fun of Peter and myself included, we were never dubbed by Christ as the rock of the church or given the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Peter. We are talking to our students, 5th through 12th grade, Adam, Sam, and I are talking to our students this semester about five of Jesus' original disciples. Disciples who had struggles, just like our students have. And when we're talking about Peter, we're going to present his struggle as having a big mouth. Peter talked the talk with the best of them, but he did not walk the walk. But God redeemed him in that struggle. And he redeemed him to have big faith. And, and Peter, he preached boldly. He was a compassionate man. And because of Peter's ministry, because Peter decided the gospel isn't just a story to be heard, but a life to be lived, thousands of other people met our king. The fourth disciple is Philip. Philip has a very keen understanding of the scriptures. He knew what the Bible said. He knew what the Old Testament said, but he didn't just know what it said. He didn't just sit and soak it in. He went and he gave it out. He spread it around. He spread the good news. He was, had a missionary's heart. He helped other people know Jesus. The fifth disciple is Nathaniel. And we know very little about Nathaniel, but what we do know from Nathaniel comes from Jesus' lips himself. Jesus said this about Nathaniel. You might remember it from our reading. Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. What a beautiful thing to be known by, by Jesus. It's not just these five men, though. It's not just these five men who've decided that the gospel is, isn't just a story to be, to be heard, but it's a life to be lived. Because you guys, Christ Church, 
has realized that this is a life to be lived. There's a man in our church who I've come to respect dearly. He's an eighth grade boys leader and he's a, one of the other coaches on this baseball team. And he'd been bragging to me about this man cave that he had, that he built himself. And his son was telling me how cool it was. And I finally, I was just gonna, just gonna say, I need to see it for myself. And so I took his son home one day and I asked him like, you need to show me this man cave right now. So he took me above his garage and he began to show me this amazing room had like a real boat in it. It was awesome. Shotguns, all kinds of relics. And he began to tell me the stories of these items that he had in his man cave. And then finally, I was curious. I said, why'd you even build this man cave in the first place? And he kind of chuckled. And he said, a long time ago, I had two things in my mind, poker and alcohol. And he began to tell me how he'd host these crazy poke, poker, tur- not Pokemon, poker tournaments. <laughs> How you host these crazy poker tournaments in this man cave. People would come, they would lose their money, sometimes even ruin their life. In this man cave, he would go up there and he would just drink bottle after bottle after bottle. But then he began to sit in these chairs that you're sitting in right now and heard messages that you're hearing right now that the gospel isn't just a story to be heard, but it's a life to be lived. So he said, I'm done with that. I'm going to redeem this man cave that I have built. And I'm so happy he's done this. And I'm so glad for what he's doing because just this past month, he started a men's Bible study in that same man cave where he was hosting poker tournaments and getting drunk because he realized that the gospel is to be lived out. And we have other people in our church starting dances or those who have special needs. And we have kids in our ministries starting other ministries to help kids in the foster care system because this is a church that realizes that the gospel isn't just a story to be heard, but it's a life to be lived. And I want to ask you, are you living out the gospel? Some of you have never decided to take that leap of faith. And I want to encourage you, just like Beth did when she came out for communion. We got pastors and elders in the lobby who would love more than anything to talk to you about Jesus. Because the life of a Christian It's a life after Christ, following in relentless pursuit of him. I want to take you back to the waterfall. My friend Joseph and I are standing up there. He's the last to jump. I want him to get off that waterfall. Down below are 20 or so other guys chanting his name, Joseph, Joseph, Joseph. Each chant of his name, he's inching closer and closer and closer to the edge. And he trades that shaky voice and said, I'm petrified. A very confident, indetermined voice. He looked at me in the eyes and said, I'm going to jump. And he did. Plunged into the water below, dogpiled by all his best friends. He took a leap of faith. And that's my encouragement to you today. Take a leap of faith. Disciples anticipate Jesus. Disciples recognize Jesus. And disciples follow Jesus. The gospel isn't just a story to be heard. It is a life to be lived. Dear Jesus, thank you for letting us take take part in your kingdom. Thank you for your goodness and your love. Long time ago, God, you decided that you didn't want us to to live in the messes, the sin, the struggles that we created on our own. And you sent your, uh, your son, your only son down here, not just to save us, but to lead us because we are your people. We are subjects of your kingdom. 
And God, I commit, and many others in this room commit right now to doing kingdom work, to anticipate you calling on our lives, to recognize you, and to follow you. Because we realize, God, that the gospel isn't just a story to be heard. It is a life to be lived. Amen. Thank you for listening to a Sunday morning sermon from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about these sermons or about Christ Church in general, visit us online at ccochurch.com.